Here First is sponsored by UCS Healthcare, proudly delivering healthcare services across Iowa, specializing in mental health, substance use disorder treatment, and medical care with a special focus on LGBTQIA plus healthcare. More at ucsonline.org. Today is Friday. It's the 27th of January. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. Cedar Rapids Schools has a new superintendent. The school board voted unanimously yesterday to appoint Tawana Grover to lead the district. Grover replaces Art Sadhoff, who has served as interim since former superintendent Noreen Bush died of cancer. Grover comes to Cedar Rapids after serving seven years as Grand Island, Nebraska superintendent. She remains under an agreement with her old district that will have her aiding the transition of Grand Island's new interim superintendent until the summer. Another one of the state's largest school districts picked a new leader yesterday. Interim superintendent of the Sioux City Community Schools, Dr. Rod Earlywine, will officially take over the position on July 1st, pending board approval of his contract. Railroad regulators will decide this year whether to approve the first large railroad merger since 1999. IPR's Zachary Orrin-Smith tells us the Department of Justice has its concerns. The Department of Justice's antitrust division has a long and vocal history of concern for mergers within the railroad industry. That's why it was a surprise when the DOJ didn't pipe up during a September meeting involving Canadian Pacific's acquisition of Kansas City Southern. But in a letter to the Surface Transportation Board this week, the DOJ says its concerns about the merger's impact on the competitive freight market still stands. Back in April, the DOJ asked the board to pay attention to the potential reduction in railroad competition, cutback in technology investment, and further concentration of the industry. If the merger goes through, towns in eastern Iowa are anticipated to see the highest traffic increases nationally. An environmental study estimated an additional 15 trains per day on average. At the State House, a bill advancing in the Iowa House would change who is eligible for food and medical assistance. It would limit the assets Iowans could hold while receiving food assistance known as SNAP. The state would also seek federal permission to enforce work requirements for some Medicaid recipients, and the bill would try to ban the use of SNAP benefits to buy candy and soda. Journey Berzend of Urbandale told lawmakers she has a disability and relies on SNAP to buy food. To you, I'm a stranger. You think people like me are probably the one exception who's worthy of these entitlement programs. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you think the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness only applies to those who can afford it. What I do know is that community is about coming together and helping each other, and this bill does not do that. Supporters of the bill, including Republican lawmakers and groups that seek to limit government spending, say it'll ensure taxpayer dollars will only be spent on people who truly need the help. The Iowa Democratic Party will elect a new chairperson this weekend. Whoever is elected will have a lot on their plate to try and rebuild a state party that's done poorly in recent elections. That person will also have to decide whether to keep fighting for the Iowa caucuses. Current party chair Ross Wilburn is not seeking re-election following his party's poor performance in the midterm. Whoever gets the job will inherit the ongoing fight to try to keep Iowa in the early window of presidential nominating states. Rita Hart is one of the candidates seeking the post. She's a former state senator who lost her 2020 congressional race to now Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks by just six votes. Hart told a Southwest Iowa Democrats forum this week the caucus battle is not done. We've got to continue to, to fight that fight for the first in the nation status and then um, be very practical about how we move forward. Brittany Ruland is also running. She managed State Senator Sarah Trone Garriott's successful campaign in taking out the former State Senate president last fall. 
Former Iowa lawmaker Bob Krause is running too. Party members could nominate anyone in tomorrow's virtual meeting. And a large publisher with a presence in Des Moines is cutting 7% of its staff. The Des Moines Register reports Dot Dash Meredith told employees yesterday 274 of the company's positions were being terminated. It's unclear how many of them are in Des Moines. It's here first. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Next time you go to your kitchen, check the labels on your food. You might find a small statement or symbol that says bioengineered. Well, a year ago, the U.S. began to mandate that food manufacturers, importers, and retailers make that disclosure if a food or substantial ingredient has been genetically modified. IPR's Katie Pikus looks at what, if any, impact that's had. It doesn't take long to find a food or a food product with some mention of bioengineering on it. For example, here in my freezer, I have these soy-based chicken patties. And on the back of the packaging, there's a small circle symbol that says bioengineered. Before the mandate went into effect, the U.S. Department of Agriculture did a presentation explaining the standard's purpose. We can increase transparency in our food system and give consumers information about the bioengineered status of their foods. The USDA's national standard for labeling bioengineered foods came about in response to states passing or proposing their own legislation. It was meant to avoid a patchwork of regulations. It covers 13 crops and foods that are GMOs. That's genetically modified organisms that have had their DNA altered in a lab to give them certain traits. Take note of four crops on the list. Corn, canola, soybeans, and sugar beets. Most of those crops in the U.S. are genetically modified, says William Holman with Rutgers University's Department of Human Ecology. We make so many ingredients out of those particular crops. Much of what Americans eat has an ingredient from a GMO crop, like foods that have high fructose corn syrup. But Holman says this is where the regulations get tricky, because not all those bioengineered ingredients have detectable genetic material, meaning they don't fall under the USDA standard. It complicates things immensely. The question is, so what is the law intended to do? The law is intended to disclose and make transparent to consumers, you know, what it is that they are eating. Critics like the Center for Food Safety and some grocery stores and food advocacy groups challenged the USDA in court over the exclusion of many products from the standard. A federal court largely upheld it. Natural Grocers was one of the parties that sued. The Colorado-based retail chain sells organic produce. Natural Grocers' Alan Lewis says the bioengineered labeling is too narrow and was designed to confuse people by using the term bioengineered instead of GMO. A shopper that cares about non-GMO and protecting planet, environment, and, and their family's health isn't using that as a source of reliable, consistent information. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has concluded GMOs are safe to eat. For consumers, it's difficult to know if they're aware of the disclosure standard. Brian Ronholm is the director of food policy for Consumer Reports. He says people care about GMOs, but the USDA standard uses the term bioengineered and only requires a statement in small print or a small symbol. It should be labeled more clearly so it's very easy for consumers to understand 
Would the wording or size of the labeling make any difference? Erin Adalja is one of the co-authors of a Cornell University study on a now-defunct GMO labeling law in Vermont. He says the discussions during the legislative process influenced consumer habits more than the actual labeling. And, he says, that's likely the case with the national standard, too. We don't expect there to be a big blip in, you know, a big drop in GMO demand or a big change in demand. Ultimately, it's up to consumers to read the fine print and make their own choices about what foods they eat. I'm Katie Pikus, IPR News. Katie is our connection to Harvest Public Media, a collaboration of public media stations throughout the Great Plains and Midwest reporting on food production, agriculture, and rural life. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. Thanks for listening this week. 